Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Now, I know it's going to be really difficult for this year's divisional round to top the chaos of last year's divisional round. That doesn't mean that you can't bet on all the odds, props, promos, and parlays for this divisional playoff when you head over to Bet Online Sportsbook. If you use our code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, with the link in the description to this episode, you can can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. It's not just any Wednesday. It's a sports radio Wednesday here on the Take It Easy podcast. What is a sports radio Wednesday? A sports radio Wednesday is when our friend Juju talks sports and I get together and do some classic sports radio talk. Four segments, 15 minutes long, crank it out in about an hour, doing silly sports radio conversation. It's the vibe that we like to go for on the Slump Buster YouTube channel, which Juju started over two years ago, has a a couple thousand subscribers. It's the vibe that we enjoy on that show and the vibe that we strive for in putting together those 12 to 15 minute videos. And this year, Juju is joining me in my mission to eulogize a whole bunch of NFL teams. Because at the end of most seasons, the thing I like to do is look at the next six months of these teams now that we've played a full season they're heading into an off season with different possibilities each situation is really unique as you've heard us talk about with the the Steelers the Panthers we did a eulogy of the Broncos we did a eulogy of the Raiders every week we have our get up out the paint week in which we kind of eulogize about six teams who we get up out the paint we've done all sorts of eulogies all throughout the season and In basketball, it's really fun because basketball provides a lot of opportunities for macro-level conversation and the transaction because the singular player matters so much more. Football provides us a lot of interesting opportunities to eulogize these teams and then not think about them for about two to three months while we care about the actual good football. So in between the good football of wildcard weekend and the divisional round, taking some time to eulogize some NFL teams on this Sports Radio Wednesday. Our B block is going to be talking about the Chicago Bears. Our C block is going to be talking about the Tennessee Titans. Our D block is going to be talking about the Green Bay Packers. And here on the A block, I am going to take care of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Because 
The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who finished 8-9 and nine and were one loss away, whether it was the game that the Rams were up 16-3 to or the game where the Cardinals were in overtime on Christmas, whatever you want to point to, if Tampa loses one of those games, all four teams in the NFC South would have finished 7-10, and 10, which would have been the most amazing finish to any division that I can ever imagine or remember. Alas, we have only the 8-9 and nine Tampa Bay Buccaneers making the playoffs, and their defense, which all season had been a top unit and was the reason I was saying, hey, I know Tampa's not very good, and they have the worst rushing team in the NFL, and they just, Tom Brady has to throw the ball 50 times a game, but it's Tom Brady and a top 10 defense, so you never know. Maybe they'll pull off an upset, and we talked with Razor Rosenthal, and we talked all throughout the last 10 weeks when it seemed like a inevitability that the Cowboys would play the Bucks in the 5-4 wildcard game. Ultimately, when we went back and looked at that matchup, Cowboys were clearly the more talented team. Dallas had the best offense and maybe the best defense on the field. And then once Tampa's defense kind of fell apart a little bit and the Cowboys scored two early touchdowns and then a third touchdown before halftime, and then Tom Brady threw a goal line interception for the first time in over three seasons, which I couldn't believe it when I heard that stat, that Tom Brady threw a goal line interception, for the threw an interception in the end zone for the first time in three seasons. Uh, by that point, everything was falling apart for Tampa, and all the good breaks they would have needed to win that game did not come into fruition. So Tampa Bay ends up losing... Pretty spectacularly, this is the end of that Tampa Bay team as we know it. I hate to say that this was a last dance because this year was the you shouldn't have run it back. Like Tampa winning the championship in 2020 was an incredible achievement and not just an incredible achievement, an incredible overachievement. That team was the number five seed in the NFC. The Packers and the Saints were both favored in the playoff games in which they played Tampa. Tampa Bay beat both of them on the road, and then as seven-point underdogs against Kansas City in the Super Bowl, dominated the Chiefs. Like, I've never seen a Kansas City team get dominated before or since, like what happened in that Super Bowl. So not only was it an achievement, it was an overachievement. And Tom Brady signed a two-year extension after winning the Super Bowl, when in reality, he probably should have signed a one-year deal so that he could have gotten out of the, the Buccaneers situation at the end of 2021. Because remember, at the end of 2021, we had Tom Brady is frustrated with Bruce Arians because Bruce Arians, who has relinquished the offensive play calling to Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady, is coming into meetings and doing red marker all over the game plan, and it's upsetting Tom Brady. And everything that's happening with roster construction and Antonio Brown and just what seemed like not a fun season, even as Tampa went 12 and four or 12 and five or 13 and four, whatever it was last year, even as they won a lot of games, just a not fun environment last year in Tampa. And ultimately they lose that playoff game to the Rams where the Rams blew pretty close to a 32-point lead. When you take away, it was 28-3. to It was Cam Akers fumbling the ball at the goal line right before half to go up 35-3. to Like, the Rams just absolutely imploded and allowed the Bucks back in that game. And that should have been the end of Tom Brady in Tampa. And it should have been the end of that Tampa team as presently constructed. 
because they had gone all in on those two seasons that they were going to deal with the ramifications of such coming into this year. And oh, by the way, Tom Brady retired, tried to force his way to the Miami Dolphins as president slash quarterback with Sean Payton, and it only got blown up by a once in a generation lawsuit where Brian Flores is is filing a class action lawsuit against the NFL because the Dolphins fired Brian Flores after going 19 and 16 over two seasons and putting together top 10 defenses in order to get, to have Tom Brady be president slash general manager with Sean Payton retiring as Saints coach and then mingling his way back into the Miami Dolphins coaching job. It's just an incredible story. And we know it we know it's existed. It's been confirmed by many many media reports. We know this was the case. So then what happens after that is Tom Brady goes back to the Bucks and part of his condition of reinstatement is getting Bruce Arians fired. Like let's not mince words at that. Tom Brady got Bruce Arians fired. And so this thing was already headed in a poor direction. And I think what happened is that people believed in the Tom Brady mythology so much that with all of that happening, it just wouldn't matter. And what ultimately the last 12 months have proven is Tom Brady made a miscalculation. The guy who prioritized flexibility to get out of New England, the guy who signed one-year prove-it deals with Tampa at 43 years old, two years was somehow too long of a commitment for Tom Brady. Like, it should have been one year, and then he leaves Tampa after that second season. And what ultimately happened was a situation where no one was happy in the situation that they were in. I mean, certainly Tampa Bay found themselves in a unique position because they were catering to Tom Brady, but what ultimately happened was a miscalculation on Brady's part of trying to force their way to the Dolphins and signing the two-year contract extension after the Super Bowl because that should have been a one-year extension with the ability to get out of that and go to the Dolphins as a free agent. That's what should have happened, and the miscalculation by Brady and the miscalculation of the Sean Payton-Tom Brady plot to get to Miami, the retirement and the unretirement and all of that stuff, the miscalculation on Brady's part over the past, call it two seasons, beginning with the two-year contract extension and continuing with the whole saga in Miami, that miscalculation only exacerbated problems that Tampa already had. Like when two of their offensive linemen leave in free agency and another retires, as happened for Tampa. And then you have the injuries to Tristan Wirfs. And then you have the injuries to Ryan Jensen. And then you're the 32nd ranked rushing team because when you have the best offensive line in the NFL, Leonard Fournette looks like he's having a career revival. And when you have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, Leonard Fournette looks just like he did on the Jacksonville Jaguars at the end. It's very much a bot running game is very much a byproduct of your offensive line unless you have one of those special running backs. And so the miscalculation by Tampa Bay and by Tom Brady exacerbated the problems of the organization to such a place where no one was happy with this season. And yet, because he was under contract and because he had the power in that organization, it was, I mean, he got Bruce Arians fired. 
and Todd Bowles promoted to head coach, which for better or for worse, I don't know if that made the team better or worse. (laughs) I don't know what the difference between Bruce Arians to Todd Bowles is. I don't think Bruce Arians would have made this any less painful than it was for the Bucs, and Tom Brady had already worn out that relationship with Arians. I mean, it was just a situation where everyone should have gone their separate ways. And Tom Brady knew that, and the Buccaneers kind of knew that, but they had him under contract, and, like, it's Tom Brady. So, like, you honored the con- you you kept the contract in place and ran it back for one more season, when in reality, it should have ended after last year. And I know that's not the crazy thing to say, but I'm not saying it because Tom Brady retired. We know the retirement was all because of the plot to get to Miami, I'm not saying that this year shouldn't have happened because Tom Brady retired. I'm saying this year shouldn't have happened because Tom Brady should have only signed a one-year extension after the Super Bowl. It was pretty clear that he should have taken one-year deals every year at this point in his career. He didn't need to preserve himself or preserve his, you know, career projections. Like he was going to be fine either way. There's even if it wasn't with Tampa, someone else would have taken the chance and that team ended up being the Dolphins. And that's just the one that we know about. And this year it might be the Raiders or the Saints or whatever the next team for Tom Brady is going to look like. It just this year should have never happened for Tampa. Bruce Arians probably still should be the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They probably should have had about the same record with Blaine Gabbert as their quarterback, and then they would have pivoted to maybe drafting a rookie or maybe signing a big-time free agent. Like Tampa would have gone back to being the 7-10 and team that they were before Tom Brady, and you know when they got Tom Brady, it came with Antonio Brown and came with Rob Gronkowski, and the defense peaked at exactly the right time, and they hit on a couple key draft picks like Jordan Whitehead, like Sean Murphy Bunting, the perfect confluence of events that allowed them to become a wild card team that went 11 and 5 instead of 8 and 8 and then the next year go back to being the 11 and 5 team and now you're back to the 8 and 8 team because you just haven't been able to withstand the level of talent to support Tom Brady. So what do you look at or or support any quarterback it doesn't have to be Tom Brady. So I look at the end of this and say there's a lot of changes that are about to come up in Tampa. What those are going to be are so far beyond my con- comprehension because if I'm Tampa, everything's got to be on the table at this point for what this team is going to look like next season. Running it back with another quarterback is setting yourself up for a similar season. This year was not the anomaly. This year was the result. Tampa is now in the purgatory that the Packers were in this year, that the Saints were in this year. You went all in on those two seasons. You made the necessary compromises, and it delivered a championship. Like Unlike the Packers, which feel like a disappointment, and unlike the Saints, who we know they those fans feel disappointed by winning more regular season games than any team for four years and not, win, not making a Super Bowl. Like Tampa got the ultimate prize at the end. Just the clean exit would have been Brady being allowed to go to Miami. And I I think so much of this would have changed if, I mean, everyone would have been better. It's just, it's a, it's a really bad miscalculation. And we can point to like the other miscalculations that have followed for Brady, whether it's everything with his relationship and marriage, which I don't want to dive too deep into, whether it's him being the face of FTX, 
which, you know, the crypto crash of 2022 is kind of on the backs of Tom Brady's crypto buddy, SBF. Like, this is, this is, these are miscalculations that if you believed in the Tom Brady mythology would be something of an unraveling. I never subscribed to the Tom Brady mythology because I've never believed that Tom Brady has the magic power that allows you to win games. Like, I don't believe in the Tom Brady mythology. I believe Tom Brady is really good at playing quarterback. He's not the great, he's not the most skilled quarterback to ever play. He's not even the best quarterback to ever play. He, he has accumulated stats over many, many years playing on the greatest, playing with the greatest defensive coach in the history of football. And between the two of them, they won a, an immense number of games and set records and all that stuff. But I don't believe in the Tom Brady mythology of, hey, this guy has something, he's got it. And no one else has it. I mean, we've seen the failures. He just fails slightly less than everyone else. The Patriots won 66% of their AFC championships and 66% of their Super Bowls. And we point to that and say, wow, look at that. The greatest winners in the history of the sport. If you flip a coin, they had a 50-50 chance. So the difference between random luck and the greatest winners of all time is 16%. Like, the, the margins are so thin when you really think about it that, like, the difference between Tom Brady or anyone else doesn't feel like mythology. It feels kind of explainable, even in a seemingly random sport. And I know there's no perfect explanation for it, but if you believed in the Tom Brady mythology of can do no wrong, can lead these comebacks, I, I think to a certain point, if you if you were one of the people who was like, I think the Bucks are going to win because it's Tom Brady and who's going to bet against Tom Brady in the playoffs? Like if you're someone who subscribes to the mythology, the data points pretty clearly to ever since that Super Bowl, it's been miscalculation after miscalculation by Tom Brady and the end of his career doesn't like look as bad on the field as like Peyton Manning his noodle arm falling off at the end of his run but still getting a championship it doesn't look like Drew Brees physically falling apart in his last season like on the field the perfect exit from Tampa would have been after 2022 but I think everything about the last two years has been a miscalculation on the part of Brady and the part of Tampa I mean, Tampa wants Tom Brady around because it's Tom Brady, but they didn't do the necessary things to build a sustainable winner. I mean, they, they went all in, but they didn't build anything sustainable over the past few years. They let they gave Tom Brady a certain level of power over the roster, and it's a it's a compromise that worked out. It was a, it was an overachieving time with Tom Brady. Even as they lose in the second round, and even as they lose in the first round. They win a Super Bowl, lose in the second round, lose in the first round. I think you trade that at the end of the day. It's just Tom Brady's not going to have the fondest memories coming out of Tampa at the end of that run. I think the last two years are going to be defined by a lot of miscalculations, and that's okay. Like Tom Brady's not perfect. He made a, a, a mistake, and those mistakes ended up compounding on each other. The first mistake being the two-year contract that he signed after the Super Bowl. That was the first mistake, and that one mistake has led to a chain of events that kind of all tie back to that one mistake, like the inability to get out of his Bucks contract, the retirement to try and force his way to Miami at the time of the Flores lawsuit. All of that just ends up being a miscalculation, 
And I think those miscalculations just end up compounding on themselves. So I think looking back, that's kind of the way that the last two years in Tampa have gone, apart from play on the field or Vita Vea and Devin White taking the reins from Levante David and Indomitian Sue and Jason Pierre-Paul and the stars of yesteryear for the Bucks. I think even as the Bucks have made that transition from old to young, and even as they go from having one of the best offensive lines to the worst offensive line, and even as they potentially will lose Chris Godwin at the end of this in a trade or whatever ends up happening, like as as those trade-offs end up coming into fruition, it, it ends up being something where you look back and say, Tampa's not doing anything special. And the miscalculations by Tom Brady made it an uncomfy situation for everyone else because, again, Bruce Arians would probably still have that job. If Tom Brady had signed only a one-year contract, sure, Tampa wouldn't have had a great season this year without Tom Brady, but they had Tom Brady this year. I don't think there was anything they could have done differently that would have dramatically changed the fortunes of this season or changed the fortunes of that franchise going forward. I think it's just the compromises that were made, and ultimately they get a championship out of it, and the end ends up being a, a mess and dramatic and, and and super dramatic in a way that I don't think we really appreciate just how insane it is that Tom Brady retired with a secret and Sean Payton retired a Hall of Fame coach and the greatest quarterback of all time retired in a secret plot to go to the Miami Dolphins and take the power from that organization as 44 year old Tom Brady was going to be president slash quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. Like, it's just, it's incredible to think, and it was derailed only by a a racial discrimination lawsuit and the logistics of trying to make that retirement slash unretirement happen. I don't think we appreciate just how insane that whole story is, and that combined with everything else that feels like a miscalculation on Brady's part, again, I don't want to dive too deeply into like his marriage or into the FTX stuff or all the other, you know, the, the getting Bruce Arians fired part, I think is more interesting and like palpable for me to talk about with like pretty clearly Tom Brady met with the Glazers in London. The compromise was Bruce Arians would no longer be the coach and they obliged because they wanted Tom Brady to come back. I think just the initial decision to sign a two-year contract after the Super Bowl leads to a confluence of miscalculations and mistakes trying to make up for that one mistake. And you see the end result now where Tom Brady's ultimately going to get freed from the Bucks contract, leaving behind a giant mess that someone will clean up. But he's leaving behind a giant mess that could have been there last year. And now, one year later... At 45 years old, it feels like the, the the back end of his career has has lost a year or wasted a year. And maybe that year was never going to turn out great in Miami anyways. I don't think Tom Brady was going to be the thing that put Miami over the edge in terms of becoming this great team. It just would have made it a little bit softer of a landing and it wouldn't have been so many miscalculations compounded on top of each other because Brady should have been able to leave after 2022. One, that should have been the end of his time in Tampa. Should have gone somewhere else with the last whatever remaining years of his career. And so from this point forward, who knows what's going to happen to Brady, to the Bucks, to Bruce Arians, to Todd Bowles. There's so many changes on the horizon. And I think what's more interesting is to look back at how we got to this place to think about how they're going to start going forward. Because ultimately, it's just a bunch of miscalculations. 
that's the simplest way I can describe it after having tried to describe it for 20 minutes. It was a, a bunch of miscalculations on the part of Tampa and on the part of Tom Brady, beginning with signing the two-year contract extension back after the Super Bowl and everything spiraling after that. With that being said, let's pivot on over to talking about the Chicago Bears with our friend, Juju Talks Sports. And since we're going to talk about the Chicago Bears, let's play our beautiful, wonderful chorus of Chicago fans singing about how the Bears still suck. Bears still suck. The Bears still suck. The Bears still suck. The Bears still suck. Smith gave his former team a gift, the number one overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft is going to Chicago. But Chicago already has a quarterback, right? Justin Fields. So what if I played this scenario out there? You have Bryce Young on the board. Another team calls. They're offering multiple first-round picks for Justin Fields. You're the Bears GM. What do you do? No, you don't. You don't trade Justin Fields for anything. It's uh, it's that old Family Guy meme of the mystery box. It's like the mystery box could be a star quarter. It could be anything. It could be a star quarterback. No, no, no. You keep Justin Fields and you build around Justin Fields. Because well, is Justin Fields a star quarterback? Yes, Justin Fields was so freaking good this year. I'm not saying he's going to be like the next Josh Allen or anything, but like he's going to be your franchise quarterback for the next 10 years and be a really, really good quarterback. But counter, do you think that Bryce Young is going to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL? Yes. Do you think both of them are going to be good? Who's going to be better? Someone's going to be, got to be better. Doesn't matter. Keep it the, does keep matter. The, keep the Thanks. certainty of Justin Fields. Like, but I don't is care. Justin Fields a certainty? You lost games yes. when he was healthy and looking awesome. No, I don't care about the wins and losses this year. Those were all beneficial for the Bears. No, Justin Fields does ridiculously stupid, fun things. Like, if Justin Fields' ceiling is being like Dak Prescott, like Dak Prescott light, like Bryce Young could not be good enough where you would make me make that bet on giving up Justin Fields to keep Bryce Young. I have seen enough from Justin Fields to know that guy is going to be a very good quarterback in the NFL for the next 10 years. I have seen enough. And given the fact that he was like the number two prospect in his draft class and the number two quarterback coming out of high school, I've seen enough to know that dude is going to be awesome for the next 10 years. There, Bryce Young could not be good enough. I mean, unless he becomes Patrick Mahomes, but you're not betting on that. No, like Bryce Young cannot be good enough where I would take the risk on giving up Justin Fields. Well, at you compare Justin Fields to Dak Prescott, well, Bryce Young is better than Dak Prescott. I'm saying that the the gamble on that is not worth it. I'm saying that 
you keep Justin Fields and you build around Justin Fields because Justin Fields could be better. He has shown evidence with a not great team that Justin Fields can be a real a, a quarterback that puts up really good numbers and a quarterback that potentially rushes for a thousand yards in a season. Like I have seen the evidence, and I am I know Justin Fields. I like again, you can freezing cold take whatever. I know Justin Fields is going to be without question the best quarterback in the history of the Bears franchise, but that's a really low bar to hit. That's Jake Cutler. So I'm going to say he is going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL for 10 to 15 years, and you can't you can't make me give that up. Not with Three first-round picks. Well, if I'm doing three first-round picks, I'll give you the number one pick in the draft. I would rather trade the number one pick in the draft than trade Justin Fields. Okay, well, that establishes a good baseline for the Bears. Justin Fields, untouchable, fine. He's my yes. franchise guy. Okay, well, let's move into that next part. You mentioned the ability to trade out of the number one overall pick. So what would you put the chances of the Bears actually drafting at number one? What are the odds? That's a good question. Because if they really like Will Anderson or they really like Jalen Carter, I'm not going to crush on them for saying they shouldn't. At the same time, so many teams would pay to jump the Texans to get Bryce Young. So yeah, I I would put it at, say, and again, I have no idea what the answer is, but I'm saying like playing the odds on this and not knowing what the Bears actually want to do, I would say 35% chance they, they use the number one pick. So let's look at that top four, top five of the NFL draft, right? So if the Bears do trade out of that number one overall pick, then we know the team that is trading up for number one is trading up for a quarterback. Whether that be Stroud, Young, or Levis, they're trading up for a quarterback. That's undisputable. Uh, Then you go to the Texans. They're obviously drafting a quarterback. So the first two draft picks are quarterbacks. I believe the Cardinals are three, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, Cardinals are three. Yes, Cardinals will not draft a quarterback. Okay, well, then that's where you risk potentially losing out on a Will Anderson if you're the Bears, if that's someone that you really look at and think that you can roll with uh seattle is five i want to say correct uh seattle is five and four is the colts four is the colts it feels like the colts are also going to draft a quarterback right so mm-hmm. at five with seattle seattle might have got the screws as far as potentially drafting a quarterback out of this situation unless they want to move up so seattle might be the one for the chicago bears to really push on especially because they have multiple draft picks from the russell wilson deal maybe that's their opportunity to trade back into getting their franchise quarterback and if you drop to five you mentioned you still have the possibility to get a top tier edge rusher or defensive talent or maybe build up your offensive line we know that that was an issue too for justin fields uh maybe get a definitive number one receiver i was gonna say you could draft quentin johnson Yes, that's all on the table for the Bears. So that's what the beauty of it is, them getting the number one overall pick. That's why it's so powerful what they were able to have happen for them when the Houston Texans ended up winning that game. Now, the Texans may still end up getting their guy because the Bears may do something that the Texans weren't planning on. The ability to control your own destiny at the number one overall pick is what the Bears gained from the Texans winning that game. It's like I go back to 2019 when the Niners drafted uh, Nick Bosa. They kind of got lucky that Kyler Murray was going to go number one overall pick regardless. So Bosa was going to fall to them. 
that's kind of like what the Bears could kind of be have the luxury of now that they're number one overall pick. The draft starts whenever they say it wants to start. The clock is on them whenever they want it to be on them. Yeah, and that's why I, I kind of put the 35 there is like, if they think that Will Anderson is the next Nick Bosa, or he's going to be their Nick Bosa, or they think that uh, Jalen Carter is going to be their J.J. Watt, if they feel confident in that, I, I don't think there's a number of draft picks you could pay to give that up. If you're, I mean, everyone agrees that they're two universally great players being compared to Miles Garrett's and Nick Bosa's and all the way on down. Like, everyone agrees that they're the two best players in the draft class. And if they're that special caliber of player i'm not sure there's a number of draft picks that you can pay me to give that up at the same time i would recommend that they do a a situation where they they get teams bidding against each other because uh, again that number one pick doesn't inherently have a value it's what the value of the number one pick is whatever someone is willing to pay for it so again my recommendation is get the texans on the phone get the colts on the phone get the seahawks on the phone even get the raiders on the phone and just make them start bidding against each other for the number one pick and it maybe you can drive up the price you, you certainly have a number of bidders um and again you can get one of those really good players is there a dark horse um, team that we're not thinking of that might want to jump into this? Like, I look at Atlanta, for example, right? Atlanta, they had that six, seven wins to finish the season. Um, they've been kind of middle of the first. They haven't had the opportunity to really get up and get their guy. The Titans have been talked about as far as drafting a quarterback. They're sitting in the teens. Which one of those teams do you think would probably be most interested in moving that far up? Because I think if they were to do it, they'd have to – trade at minimum looking at the Trey Lance deal right using the Trey Lance deal as a starting point three first round picks seems to be the going price to move up to at minimum top three probably four or maybe three and a conditional second or something of that nature might need to be what gets it done to move up to number one if you're the Bears and again powerful position for Ryan Poles and the Bears front office here well, I think you always, at the end of the day, they'll take whatever the best offer is. And if they think that keeping the number one pick is better than whatever the best offer is, then maybe they'll uh, they'll go ahead and pick Will Anderson or, or Jalen Carter or whoever it ends up being. But, I mean, it's like you said, man, those teams can get in the game. Like, you know, the when the, the Rams took Jared Goff, they jumped from 15 to 1. So, like, it's not impossible to be done. It's just like, what are you going to give up in order to get there? Are you going to give up two years worth of draft picks in order to get that number one pick? Are you going to give up two firsts and two seconds? Are you going to give up three firsts and another pick? Are you going to give up a player and a pick? Like, if you're, uh, if you're the Titans, you've got players, but you don't necessarily have premium picks. So, like... I don't know, man. Like it's whatever you can give up to get up there, and and again, the Bears, the Bears should take all sorts of calls on that pick and just make people bid against each other. Because if people are really that desperate to get Bryce Young, they could get a haul for that draft pick. So to reiterate the points, you said Justin Fields untouchable, filled all calls. That's what the Chicago Bears should do coming into draft season. What about you, Internet GMs? What about you in the comments section? Do you think that you should put the untouchable tag on Justin Fields? Do you think you should be fielding calls of all varieties for that number one overall draft pick for the Chicago Bears? Or do you think that they should actually use the draft pick? Let us know in the comment section down below. Leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel. Follow us on all our social medias, at Slumpusterpod, at Slumpusterpodcast. From Juju and Kyle, stay safe, happy, and healthy. We will see you next time.
anytime we talk about the tight ends, this almost becomes a very personal issue for you, mostly because you're consumed with being right or wrong on how mid the tight ends really are as an organization. <laughs> I try and balance you out, mostly because I've liked what the tight ends have been over the last few years. But I, I think it's because I like Vrabel. I think I'm a Vrabel guy, so I almost have adopted them as like an underdog team that I root for in a way. I stick up for the Titans. I stand the Titans a little. But um, <laughs> this year, especially losing the seven straight games at the end, kind of like tough to really support the Titans towards the tail end. Had they had Ryan Tannehill stay healthy, I think they might have made it. When you're having to put Josh Dobbs out there in the winning end game, I think it was doomed from the start. Malik Willis, clearly not ready, probably will never be ready. So with the Titans, it's going to be a transformative offseason. They made some major coaching firings. Uh, Todd Downing, and I've been echoing that I think Todd Downing's been one of the biggest issues with this team. I don't know. What do you feel on the Titans? Do you think that at least making these moves is a good move for them? Well, so first of all, let's address the point you brought up about my infatuation with the Titans. So for people who don't know, I had the, maybe the most right I've ever been was 2019 when I said that if they replaced Mariota with Tannehill when they were 2-5, and five, that they would go to the playoffs. And not only did they go to the playoffs, they went to the AFC Championship. And then I said they shouldn't re-sign Derrick Henry, and I was very, very wrong about that. And then I passed on Derrick Henry in my fantasy league and finished in seventh place. And then I drafted Derrick Henry the next two seasons and won the championship the next two seasons. And then... Last year, of course, we well documented, we made jokes over and over and over again about how the Titans were frauds and they were the sixth best team in the AFC. I think at this point I can just classify it as a kink. That's the best thing I can describe at this point. I know the Titans are dirty. I know they're stupid. I know they're mid. And yet I just can't stop myself from getting super emotionally invested in the Titans. So I don't know what it is at this point. I, the best I can describe it as is a kink for the Titans. But I would say that firing Todd Downing, probably the best move. Firing John Robinson, sounding short-sighted. But if you're going to trade A.J. Brown and then fire your general manager, does that mean you're going to tear the whole thing to the ground? Or does that mean you're going to run it back? There's so many interesting questions with the Titans. I'm sure we'll get to Tannehill at some point. But but like you said, I mean, it's hard to stand for the Titans given how everything fell apart at the end of the season. Like I said it would when they were 5-2, and two, I said they should trade Derrick Henry to maximize value. This is around the time Christian McCaffrey was about to get traded. But uh, yeah, the Titans are kind of in this weird purgatory at this point. Well, you look around the landscape of the AFC South. I don't think the Titans are completely out of it just yet. We did talk about Trevor Lawrence last week, and we thought that the pathway for the Jaguars to dominate this division is open. But I think the Titans still can pose problems. If Todd Downing, losing him, addition by subtraction, really works towards their benefit next year, then I could see this Titans team being back in that 9-10 win conversation because... There is still talent on here. They were still able to generate a pass rush. Derrick Henry, I don't see the slowing down signs quite yet. There was a little bit of an odd fumbling issue that developed for Derrick Henry this year, but assuming that gets corrected, I can see the Titans being back. Their offensive line has issues. Ryan Tannehill, an average quarterback, but you can use an average quarterback to get you by when you have a solid running game like you do with Derrick Henry. When it comes to John Robinson, you mentioned that one. It does seem short-sighted, especially when we consider that his firing came the week after the game against the Philadelphia Eagles. That did seem like a direct A.J. Brown, you traded him, you're gone kind of move. But it also, in terms of the big picture, 
you did trade that guy, and that guy is still really good at playing football. I bet if you asked Frabel 10 out of 10 times, he would say he would want that guy to be playing on his team and not against him. And yet, that move still happened. So I'm sure that Mike Rabel couldn't have been that satisfied with what the job that Robinson was doing in that respect because Traylon Burks, hopefully he turns into something, but right now it's not a lot of anything. So I, I feel as though there may have been some conflict between the coach and the GM. Game rid of Rabel's coaching staff. This will be an interesting offseason for him. Like, who does he hire? Can Rabel consistently find that guy? Because at least his first couple years there, he did. When it comes to Arthur Smith, when it comes to Matt LaFleur, he was able to find that guy. Now that the organization seemingly forced his hand on making that move, can he go out there and get it? I'm surprised it took him this long. I, th- I <laughs> thought Downing was a bad hire two years ago. I'm mostly surprised it took this long to do it. I genuinely don't know where the Titans go from here because if you're going to tear this thing to the ground, there's a really great opportunity to do it this year. You can save $20 million by moving off of Tannehill right now. You can uh, get out of that Robert Woods contract and have it not be terrible. You have the number 11 pick in the draft this year. Like, that's a very valuable piece. And the Cowboys got Micah Parsons with that pick. So, like, yeah. you can do something really good with but that. But Here's why I don't, I don't see that happening. Because I don't if you either. look at the owner's comments after they fired John Robinson, she made it a point to say, the reason we're making this move is because you as Titan fans deserve better. We want to be competing at a higher level. This is part of a grander design we want to be competing for championships and i I don't feel as though someone who has that type of mentality about being a competitor would find losing on purpose to be the way to go and i don't think that mike vrabel as the coach (laughs) while he still has equity in this league the guy same guy that said he would cut his dick off to win a super bowl i don't think that that guy wants to be losing games on purpose either because it would go counter philosophy to what he's been selling his players. And at a certain point, there's only so many coaches that can survive that because yeah, no. Mike Rabel eventually, he would have been there so long that going through a rebuild for two, three years, who knows if he comes out the other side by the time the Titans are quote unquote good again. No, Vrabel wouldn't stick around if they made that call. It's just, what do you think the best direction of your organization is? New general manager who's about to get hired. Like, I assume when they hire a new general manager, they will give that general manager the autonomy to do what they want. It's not going to be a mandate from the owner that you have to do this. They could do that. That would be dumb to do that because that's micromanaging your people. But I would say that, like, whatever the general manager decides. The one thing that I feel confident in saying, though, is I don't know what the Titans are going to do. If they want to run this offense and if they keep wanting to do this the way that they have with Derrick Henry Ryan Tannehill doesn't have to be the third highest paid quarterback in the NFL which he was this last year you don't have to do that there are Teddy Bridgewaters there are Jacoby Brissett's you can get those options for like half the price or a third of the price of what we're seeing with Ryan Tannehill and I know that's not a great idea because they just went through that with Marcus Mariota a few years ago but the Titans are in this really interesting position where I don't know what they do to to make it better but they have plenty of opportunities to do it they have financial flexibility they have really good players on that defense we saw that in the Jaguars game and during some of the games of the losing streak not all the games but some of the games of the losing streak they were just because their offense was totally constipated they have the 11 pick in the draft. I don't know what they do, but they've got I options. would be scared to move off Tannehill for, as you mentioned, Teddy Bridgewater. Just for the fact that even though Tannehill the last couple of years has been down, and again, I blame 
downing for a large part of that. I still feel as though Ryan Tannehill in his bag still has Ryan Tannehill from 2020. Ryan Tannehill from 2020 has never existed in Teddy Bridgewater's career. (laughs) You know, so it's like we know that Tannehill has at least been able to do this in the past. Can he ever do it again is a question. I know that Teddy Bridgewater, based off his career, can't. I know that other quarterbacks that exist in Teddy Bridgewater's tier generally don't. I do think that Tannehill is a step above that. Can he bounce back under new coaching? That's and you mentioned the financial impact. Unfortunately for the Titans, they're not in a position too where the um, younger draft pick is yeah. available, unless they want to go bonkers with this new GM hire and trade four or five first round picks or whatever it takes to get the Bears number one overall selection. And at that point, it's like, damn, do you just believe that Bryce Young is that guy? He's not touted as a Trevor Lawrence, but I, I guess if you do believe he's that guy, especially because you have the Texans at number two okay at least you play keep away there too but um, titans are in that classic position of if a quarterback falls to them take it because uh i'm saying probably will levis bryce young cj stroud if one of them falls to 11 jump at the opportunity if not just take best player available whatever you value is the best player available regardless of position just take best player available in the draft that's probably the best move and with better health maybe you can uh, sneak out the the afc south title next year and that's not a bad strategy at all i mean the, the titans i thought they were going to beat the jaguars in week 17 and make the playoffs anyways so i even without Tannehill, that i thought they were still good enough to get in i don't think that's a long-term strategy for winning but i don't know if the titans can really do anything to compete in the afc with six incredible quarterbacks all entering their primes like i don't really know what the titans can do to turn it around but uh best bet would be this is the highest draft pick you're going to have hopefully for a couple years and if that's the strategy just take best player available and maybe sign a couple pieces all right guys well titan's future it looks bleak but what do you think let us know in the comment section leave a like on the video subscribe to the channel follow us on our social medias at slumpbuster pod from juju and kyle stay safe happy and healthy we will see you next time Kyle, it's time to talk about our favorite moody millionaire. That would be Aaron Rodgers coming off a heartbreaking loss to the Detroit Lions. Motown stand up because Dan the Man Campbell ran it down the Packers' throat. Fourth down, balls of steel, the laterals, everything that the Lions did was fun and amazing and honestly they're going to be one of the most exciting teams going into the next season they're going to be one of those teams that the expectation is now for them to make a leap but the team that might take a step in the wrong direction is the Packers depending on what happens at the quarterback position playing into that narrative again moody millionaire uh, Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers after the game had a very weird moment where he was asked by Jamison Williams whether or not he could have his jersey. I No, I think I'll hold on to this one kid. Something to that effect was said. And Aaron Rodgers today, too, kind of talked about his future. Also has been playing it a little bit of coy. Hasn't really said one way or the other. It's clear that he's dissatisfied, but that's the same thing that we've seen from Aaron Rodgers consistently over the last several offseasons. So I don't know what's so necessarily different this year except for his age Aaron Rodgers future is it in Green Bay is it retired what do you think about this beautiful mystery that is Rodgers 2023 
Oh, juju, juju. We, we're back in the time machine, baby. We're back in 2021. Remember that? 2021, back when we were speculating on Aaron Rodgers' future, but he couldn't get out of Green Bay because the way the cap was tied. So Green Bay restructured his contract so that he could get out after 2022. But then he signed the $50 million extension per year with Green Bay. And then now he's back to the place where we're talking about whether or not he's going to leave. Oh, I feel like I'm in 2021 again. It's wonderful. Yeah, no, no. Aaron Rodgers is going to be the Packers quarterback next year. He's, he, th- next year is the big money year for him. He gets uh, a giant signing bonus if he's on the roster by a certain date. And then uh, he's due $58 million of that $200 million contract, uh, by which point I believe all but $24 million of the guaranteed money would be paid at that point, which makes it really easy for the Packers to trade him after next season, uh, which might be a mutually agreed upon thing. I don't know what his no trade clause situation looks like, but most of his guaranteed money comes in uh, this season and next season. So uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to play football next year. He's going to be the quarterback of the Packers. And uh, all of this is kind of semantics, but fun semantics because uh, people will come up with all the different situations. But uh, when he signed that contract, I knew it was for two years, and uh, he would reevaluate after two years whether he would retire or whether he would get traded. It's it's really easy for the Packers to move off of him after next year. I think they actually save like twenty five million dollars by trading Aaron Rodgers after twenty twenty three. That's probably when something's going to happen. But now Aaron Rodgers is going to play quarterback for the Packers next year, and if he if he doesn't, he's going to be given up like fifty nine million dollars to to not do that, which I don't think is going to happen. So you say he's forfeited all leverage in this potential standoff with the Packers. Yeah, but I think that's what he wanted, right? He, I mean, I don't think again, that's what he wanted. Aaron Rodgers likes control. That's what that's what I feel about Aaron Rodgers. I feel like he likes having control of the situation, whether that's having control of the immunized narrative or having control of the Packers, having them by the balls. I feel as though that's what Aaron Rodgers likes. That's what Aaron Rodgers wants. The thing that seemed pretty transparent was that he gave up control for the money, right? Like he got the contract that I don't know any other team was going to pay him. And as a result, he gave up control to play two years with the Packers. Because remember, like he posted the last dance thing. Devontae Adams posted the last dance thing. Tunyon, they did all that whole thing, remember? And then they lost to the 49ers and everyone went their separate ways. And then Rodgers came back and we were really confused. Like, why did he stick around? And then we saw the team play bad this year. And we were like, ah, that's why he shouldn't have stuck around. They went through this whole thing this year. Like, they were really bad to start the season. And then the defense started playing good at the end of the year. And they were going to make the playoffs. And, you know, turn it around. R-E-L-A-X, all that stuff. You know, they were... They were right there, and then ultimately, it, it they didn't make the playoffs this year. So, yeah, no, Rogers is Rogers gave up control in exchange for the money, and again, most of the guaranteed money that he got on that two hundred million dollar deal is going to get paid out by next year. So, uh, I think that after next year, he has more freedom uh, to potentially retire or go to another team, and uh, the Packers can do their Jordan Love thing. So you're locked in 2023, he's with the Packers, but 2024, you're open to the possibilities in a different organization. Yes, 100%. He will be the, he will be the Packers quarterback next year, and then 2024, he can either get traded or retire, and it would be pretty easy. Then the next question is, Aaron Rodgers aging into the future. People have to ask the question, he didn't throw for 300 yards once this season. Once. He was the third best quarterback in the NFC North behind Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins. And Justin Fields knocking down the door. How good is Aaron Rodgers still? 
Oh, I'm not saying it's an ideal marriage for the Packers at this point. I mean, the Packers are kind of in like limbo at this point. They're stuck between the present, the past, and the future. Like it's uh, like a Scrooge situation or whatever that whatever that old book is. But yeah, like they they're basically stuck between the past, the present, and the future, and they don't really know what to do with it. So I don't know if the Packers necessarily are cool paying Aaron Rodgers fifty million dollars this year. In fairness, though, of the four quarterbacks that got paid fifty million dollars, the Packers were still the good one this year like out of all four options they actually turned out to be like the team that didn't end up in a total tire fire so they're still not the worst of the options at this point so they're going to be kind of the same team next year they're going to be fighting for that wild card position as the as they watch the i can't believe i'm saying this as they watch the lions and bears pass them by i can't believe i'm saying that but that's a real thing that's about to happen as they watch the lions and bears pass them by the packers will be stuck in neutral the Lions, I, I think, are already ahead of them. You look at five and one in the NFC North, crushed them in the second half there. Like, just overpowered them. I think the Lions are definitely on the upswing. The Bears, still kind of, I'm not really ready to jump fully in with the Bears, but you start off with them having the number one overall pick. That's a good place to start for them as they kind of continue this rebuild. And the Vikings, year to year, are going to be very sporadic. I know. Packers fans were very happy about the bet, having a better DVOA than the Vikings, but I think the Vikings certainly have more star power across their lineup. Talk about Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, even Kirk Cousins. Don't, he's playing don't better pull than, a Skip Bayless. Jair Alexander told you he's a great corner, not a good corner, a great corner. Don't disrespect Jair Alexander like that. Okay, he shut down Justin Jefferson. My fantasy playoff hopes pending in the balance. Yes, I will say, Jair, you screwed me on that one. Congratulations. But I'm glad that in week 18, everything went right with the universe and the Packers were eliminated. But it does beg the question, was this one big conspiracy to avoid facing the 49ers in round one and going (laughs) 0-5 against the San Francisco 49ers? And that's a greater question, I think, that Packers fans and Aaron Rodgers fans should ask themselves. That Aaron Rodgers decided to uh, reduce his play to his worst season since the last, uh, the second to last McCarthy year, and uh, all of a sudden that that was all a grand conspiracy to make sure that he didn't make the playoffs, and so that Geno Smith, Geno Smith, who made a Pro Bowl over Aaron Rodgers, could get the last playoff spot with a similar talented roster. I mean, I, I'm also with you on the Bears and Vikings not being great, but if you ask me whose future looks brighter. It might be the Bears and Vikings because, uh, damn, it's not looking good for Green Bay. Like I said, they're they're stuck between the past, present, and future and don't really know which direction they're going. And, uh, God, it's such – I mean, again, like the, the, there's nothing they could do about it. Like it could have – this season could have been a whole lot worse for the Packers. I think that Green Bay is in a situation where they went all in on those three seasons. They went 39-10 and 10 over those three seasons. Like they were really, really good <laughs> – and now they're dealing with the ramifications of spending all that money and trading all those draft picks and losing all those players and then the players who are still there getting injured. So, like, they'll probably make the wild card next year. It's probably the best-case scenario for the Packers. They'll make the wild card, and then Aaron Rodgers will either retire or go to Florida or go retire to Florida and play for, like, I don't know, the Dolphins or some shit. I don't know. All right, guys. Well, what do you think of Aaron Rodgers' future? Is it with the Packers? Is it... In retirement, is it trying to make another swing at Jeopardy? Like to hear your thoughts in the comment section. If you liked the video, subscribe to the channel. Follow us on all our social medias at Slumpbuster Pod included. 
Juju, Kyle, stay safe, happy, healthy. We'll see you on the next one.